We're going to go in our Bibles tonight to the book of Luke, if you would please, to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, chapter 16. Thank you for praying for us. And uh, I don't know how many of you happened to see it, uh, but Pastor Allard gave some major props to this church uh, the other night during service and uh, was so very kind about our church family. Thank you for praying for us while we were gone, and uh, God did some great things. I wish I had time to tell you the full story, uh, but I'm going to just kind of give you some insight as you're turning to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and the scripture uh, verse that we'll draw from tonight will be verse 19, Luke 16 and 19. Uh, missionary Ben Rodriguez, Brother Benjamin Rodriguez, he and his family are missionaries to uh, Mexico. And uh, he was just recently married to uh, a precious young lady, uh, Becca, from uh, Brother Carpenter's church in Maryville, Tennessee. And uh, they were staying with us. We stayed at, at Brother Allard's home, and after the services, they came and, and stayed with us. And on Saturday night, uh, Becca had a dream. Sister Rebecca Rodriguez had a dream about this lady, and uh, she was... She described the lady to a T. The lady was uh, very tormented in this dream uh, when she saw her. She, she saw her blonde hair like she described the woman very plainly that she saw. And Brother, uh, Brother Rodriguez shared this with me before church on Sunday morning uh, about this woman that she saw that she could tell very much in the dream this woman was tormented. And she was troubled when she saw it. Well, the Holy Ghost got to move in on Sunday morning. And uh, the house was full of guests. There were a lot of people there. And this, this lady stepped out uh, from the congregation, came up to the altar when I gave the altar call. And uh, I noticed this blonde hair, so blonde that it was white. It wasn't real blonde. It was dyed blonde, and it was white, like peroxide white. And uh, so I noticed Brother Rodriguez began to pray for her. And uh, God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then we baptize her in Jesus' name. Now, the powerful thing about this is in this dream, that was the woman that Sister Rodriguez saw. The night before, she had a dream about her and said this woman was extremely tormented. But the first time that she laid eyes on her and recognized her, she was standing in the altar with both hands raised, tears coming down her face. God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And she was baptized in Jesus' name. I want you to know tonight that hell lost another one. I said hell lost another one. If you're dealing with torment in your life tonight, you don't have to deal with it any longer. If the enemy has tormented your mind, you don't have to deal with it any longer. We serve a God that is able to set men and women free. And we believe that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 16. And verse number 19, Anthony, it's so good to see you, man. I love you. I'm so proud of you. God's doing great things in your life. It's good to see you tonight. Luke 16 and 19, if you're there, say amen. amen. There was a certain rich man which was, was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom and he cried and said father Abraham have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in your lifetime received good things, 
Likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And beside all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence or from here to you cannot, neither can they come to us that would come from there. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And this is so powerful. He said unto him, If they won't hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be persuaded just because somebody rises from the dead. Folks, this is a powerful chapter. And uh, if the Lord will help us tonight, I'm going to teach to you, preach to you. I want to talk to you tonight about five things in hell that need to be in the church. Five things in hell that need to be in the church. Could we pray tonight? God, we thank you. We love you. We bless you. We honor you. There is none above you. There is none beside you. You are God all by yourself. You created all things visible and invisible, and by you all things exist. I praise you tonight for the light of your great word. For your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. I ask tonight, O oh God, that your word would illuminate our path. I ask you, Lord, that your word would illuminate the darkness in our hearts and our lives. Let there be an awakening in our spirits. I pray that there would be fruit tonight from the seed that is sown in this place. Let the name of Jesus be glorified and let the church be edified in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. amen. Would you give the Lord a 47th psalm with me tonight? <laughs> Clap your hands, O oh, you people, and shout unto God. With a voice of triumph. Come on, saints. He's worthy. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to start tonight just a little bit slow and talk to you a little bit about the context of this story. Uh, I feel like that if there's anything in... Uh, the general population of this world that is so mistaken, so off, uh, it is the mindset that people have about eternity. If people truly understood eternity, uh, I don't believe anybody would run from God. I believe if they truly understood eternity, they would run to God. And I believe that if the church ever got revelation, true revelation of eternity, we'd run to everybody and tell everybody about the goodness of the Lord. But I have, I have been in this thing my whole life. I've served God uh, all my life. I've been in ministry for over 25 years. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've preached a lot of funerals. I've been part of a lot of things. Uh, and I, I don't, please don't take my spirit wrong. Because uh, this could rub people the wrong way. But uh, I've preached funerals for people that I was, I was pretty sure uh, when they passed away that they were, they were not right with God. Uh, I've preached some funerals that were pretty tough situations uh, where the people that uh, we were preaching the funeral for, um, I had to get creative. I had to get really creative because the funeral is not about the dead, it's about the living, and you want to bring some kind of comfort and consolation. And uh, to be quite honest with you, some of the funerals that I've preached, I didn't feel any consolation. 
I, I didn't feel like there was any way to comfort people other than just saying that this day is going to come to all of us and you need to be sure that your life is right with God only to get to the end of that service and somebody to walk up to me at the casket and say, at least they're in a better place. That's tough. That's very difficult. And, and you're going to say, Pastor St. Clair, you're, you're being judgmental. I'm not. As a matter of fact, the judgmental statement is they're in a better place. Because you're making judgment on something that you don't know. And I'm not willing to put anybody in hell. But I need to be sure that you're not willing to put everybody in heaven. Am I making any sense? And uh, it's very, very tough because I'm going to make a really bold statement to you here right now. But not everybody that dies turns to angels. Oh, my sweet angels in heaven now. Heaven gained another angel. No, they didn't. Heaven didn't gain another angel. People don't turn to angels when they die. They, they are homo sapiens. They are human beings. They are flesh. They are spirit and body and soul. And they will stand before God Almighty for the deeds which they have done. This is not Pentecostal rhetoric. This is your Bible. The deeds that they have done, whether good or evil. Whether good or evil, they're going to stand before God. And I don't care how eloquent the preacher is that preaches your funeral. There will never be a preacher that has the right words or the power or the authority to put anybody in heaven. That's not real popular, is it? You may die speaking in other tongues. But I'm probably not going to stand up at your funeral and say they're dancing on streets of gold right now. I, I, I hope so. But to be quite honest with you, if we're going to get technical, and I don't want to get lost in the abyss of this, but I think we need to be very careful because I think part of how we view eternity uh, is what obfuscates the truth of what eternity is going to look like. So, my point is, I don't necessarily believe, as we consider time, that when someone dies right now, that the very next thing, like according to our time, that the very next moment, they're dancing on a street of gold. Now, the scripture, this is one thing that scripture is very vague about. And when people start teaching about eternity, a lot of times they'll come to this chapter and they'll discuss things about it and say, well... You know, the Bible said that as soon as the rich man died and Lazarus died, that one went to heaven and one went to hell. Now, a couple of things to consider. Number one, this story is told in parabolic form. In other words, this is probably, I'm not saying because there is one difference in parable, this parable and a lot of others that Jesus talks about, such as Luke 15. Luke 15, that we... Uh, would be the chapter right before this is where the prodigal is. Uh, we don't know the boy's name. We don't know the woman that lost the coin. We don't know her name. Now in Luke 16, Jesus does use specific names. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is a story about real people, if that makes sense. Uh, so this is a parable more than likely that Jesus is telling. The scripture says that the dead... Know nothing. The scripture says the dead know nothing. Now I'll tell you what I do believe. I do believe that as soon as someone dies. That their body goes to the ground. From whence it was made. And their soul goes back to God who made it. I, believe, I don't believe that a child of God when they pass from this life. I don't believe that they're sitting in a place necessarily. Where they look at us. And all of our pain and all of our woes and all the troubles and the trials that we're going through. I believe in my heart that when you finish your course, you finish. In other words, I don't believe that when your soul is with the Lord, that you're looking down on the earth at all of the stuff that's going on right now. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not in any hurry to die. I'm not in any hurry to leave. I want to live till I'm a really old man. If the Lord tarries, okay? I, I, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But if you had already seen the face of God in the presence of the Lord, you don't really care what's going on down here. 
Am I making any sense? When you die and you have finished your course, I do not believe that God lets us see all of the struggles that people are going through because I know me, if I was in, in a, 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 a celestial place and I saw my children hurting and I saw pain and suffering and struggle, I would want to help them. Am I making sense? And so I, I don't believe necessarily that once you, uh, once you die that you go to the heaven that you and I think of as far as that city that's built four square. I think there's some things in here and I'm probably going to be a little vague because I'm in a hurry. But the way that John saw it in Revelation, he saw New Jerusalem coming down. It was a place that was being prepared that more than likely... Uh, we will not enter the gates of that city until that great judgment day. Now what all that looks like, it's hard to tell because time in that realm shall be no more. And so one way that I've looked at this through the years is that let's just use somebody that's been gone for a long time. My great grandfather who died a preacher of this gospel, if he made it to heaven, and I hope he did. I want to see him someday. I never got to meet him here. If my great grandfather made it to heaven... And my grandfather, Bishop R.B. Bingham, made it to heaven. I don't believe that when I make it to heaven that it's going to feel like it's been a hundred years. Am I making sense? I believe for them it's going to be like they cross over, as, as we like to say, old chilly Jordan. I believe that when they cross over old chilly Jordan in the realm where time shall be no more, that when they look behind them, 10,000 of his saints will be coming with them. In other words, once you get outside the realm of this earth where time shall be no more, I think there's a whole lot of things that go on in that world that we don't really understand because we are so limited by time. So I don't want you to think that I'm saying that when the dead die, they have to just go sit and wait and stare at a clock until the rapture happens and and. Judgment happens. I don't believe. I believe the scripture said when they know nothing, I believe they know nothing. And I believe they're in waiting for the judgment of the Lord. Now, whether that's already happened, but judgment day will be at the same time when time shall be no more. I'm probably confusing you a little bit, but I'm just saying I don't necessarily believe that when grandma dies that there's holes in the floor of heaven because it's raining. Come on, somebody. I know everybody that listened to country music in the 90s right there, Steve Warner. Thank you. <laughs> There's holes in the floor of heaven. It's difficult because we want our loved ones to be in the best place. Right? We want our loved ones to be in the best place. But let me tell you, that is why it is an incumbent upon us as the church of the living God to tell our families, Jesus is coming. Now this story, this story that is told right here is so powerful because the rich man is looking for a miracle and he says to Abraham, he says, if you can go tell them, just send somebody from the dead, they'll listen. And this wise man speaks back to him and says, listen, if they won't listen to the preachers and listen to the word of God right now, it wouldn't matter if somebody rose from the dead and went and told them. Do you know how people are going to hear? They need to hear the word of God and they need to know that there is coming a day that we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to stand before him for every deed that we have done, whether good or evil. If you believe that, shout amen. Now, I'm going to tell you what keeps me living for God. What keeps me living for God is not His blessings. I'm thankful for His blessings. But that's not why I live for God. I thank the Lord for the church and for the family of God and for the great times we have together in the house of God. But that is not the reason that I keep living for God. I'm just going to be honest. I used to hear people say when I was a kid that if there was no heaven and there was no hell, I'd still serve the Lord. I'm going to be honest with you. I serve the Lord because there is a heaven and there is a hell. 
I serve the Lord because I do not want to be lost. There is always a way to gratify your flesh. And there's always a way to justify the gratification. But I'm telling you tonight, according to the word of the Lord, when your time comes or the rapture comes, there's not multiple choice. And if you die before the trumpet sounds, I'm sorry to tell you, but there's not a holding place called purgatory that somebody can buy you out that is not biblical it is not sound doctrine here's what i've come to tell you tonight we live for god so that when we die we can make it to the judgment seat of christ and here enter in thou good and faithful servant folks i wish i could make this a little easier for you tonight but your bible says that you either make it or you miss it Your Bible says that you're either saved or you're lost. Your Bible says you either here enter in or you here depart from me. And I don't believe that's a decision you make when you die. That's a decision you make while you're yet alive. So, so, so pastor, you're saying you don't believe in deathbed repentance. I'm saying to you, that's a risk I'm not willing to take. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? So, so you don't believe somebody can be saved on their deathbed? Let me tell you how, how somebody's going to be saved. They're going to be saved on their deathbed the same way they'd be saved on their good feet. They're going to have to repent of their sins. They're going to have to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins. And they're going to have to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Bible said. How do you know that, preacher? Because everybody in the Bible that was saved was saved the exact same way. There's not like there's another way that you can come in. There's one door. And when the church started, it started by, well, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. I agree 100%. He was writing that to a Roman church that had already believed and confessed and repented and were baptized in Jesus' name and were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. God is not going to require one thing of me and another thing of you. You're going to have to be required by the same word of God that we're all required by. And so, this is so powerful to me because he said, if if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to somebody just because they came back from the dead. Now, what, what does this indicate? And I don't have time to stay here for a long time, but you know, there's some wild superstitious stuff going on right here. There's some really wild superstitious stuff going on here because what this man is requesting is for there to somehow be a medium of communication between the living and the dead. Now I know that there's a lot of people who believe that's the case. That you can go to somebody, sit down at their table and they can say, ooh, I'm talking to your grandma right now. Folks, listen to me. The spirit world is not brand new, it's old. Millennia upon millennia upon millennia. Before any of us were created, there was a spirit world. And I'm going to tell you that the spirit world knows your grandma's name. Well, no, 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 that, that, that psychic said that, that when, when I started talking, it said, if it's my grandma, what's her name? And she said it was Bertha. You know what? The spirit world knows old Bertha. You understand what I'm saying? I don't believe that they're talking to grandma any more than I believe that I'm talking to her right now. I believe they're communicating with the spirit world and there's demonic powers. What, what do you mean spirit, spirits, no, spirits, no names? Hey, let, let me just tell you. Spirits have been around for a long time. And they know, and they're wise, they're wise to people. And they hear the things that you say. Brother, uh, Brother Doug White pastors in Silsby, Texas, told a story one night that he was preaching in Kentucky, I believe. He was preaching in Kentucky, and the pastor had to go do a prison service. And so he asked Brother White, he said, hey, would you, would you want to come preach in the prison? He said, sure, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go preach in the prison. And so they went to the prison together, and he preached, and he said, we were leaving the prison. And he said, 
Way across the yard, there was a voice that screamed out across the yard and said, Hey, Preacher White. He turned around and he thought, Man, I'm a long ways from Texas. What in the world? He said, Did you hear that? He said, Yeah, I heard somebody call your name. He said, Hey, Preacher White. So Brother White said, Well, you know what, man? I, I'm way up here. Maybe. I, we'll go see. He said, so I started walking in the direction of the man who was calling my name. He said, man, I, I kept looking and looking and looking. He said, the closer I got, I kept studying. He said, I didn't know the guy. He kind of felt bad. You know, he said, maybe, maybe he heard me preach at a camp meeting, maybe something. You know, I, I don't know. He said, so I walked up and said, hey, bud. He said, uh, he said, do I know you? And he said, you should. You cast me out in Indiana. I'm going to tell you, this old spirit world's pretty sharp. And there, there are people who are making millions of dollars a year on folks who are, uh, who are vulnerable. And I'm going to tell you, one of the reasons I'm talking about this tonight is because I came to jerk the cover on this. And I've come to tell you that God is not going to allow things to transpire through witchcraft. God's not going to let things transpire through witchcraft that are contrary to his word. Now, I, I, I understand in the scripture that Saul was trying to get a medium to bring up the old prophet. I understand. I see all of that. I recognize that. And I'm telling you, the devil's got power. But you need to understand this tonight. There is no source of witchcraft or sorcery or darkness that will ever have dominion over the power of God Almighty. And Jesus is telling this story and he said, son, I want you to understand something. If they're not going to come through the preached word, they're not going to repent through sorcery. powerful chapter if we could just walk through this and break it down or as, as my friend says let me just take a minute and unpack this for you there's some things that we need to unpack in here tonight but I want, I want it to be crystal clear to you that in my opinion people have asked me many times in my opinion do people just die and go straight to heaven die and go straight to hell my number one answer is, I don't know, but I do have an opinion. If you want to hear my opinion, I'll tell you. This is the only scriptural reference that we have of someone dying. And it does appear, by first glance, that there is heaven and there is hell that's going on in this little moment. But I want to tell you that sometimes the original language of Greek and the New Testament, Hebrew and the Old Testament, uh, things can get a little bit vague and so when the scripture said that that this man was in hell and lifted up his eyes this is a word of of Hades which is a Greek word the same word that is used in the Hebrew and the Old Testament as Sheol it simply means it's the place of the dead it is the place of the dead uh, now he does speak of flames he said that I'm tormented in these flames but to be honest with you Gehenna or the lake of fire is only referenced one time and that is in the book of Revelation and I'll tell you why I believe that I believe that there may be uh, please don't don't let me confuse you because I'm just trying to run through this but I don't necessarily believe because it said that the man in hell lifted up his eyes that it is the place of eternal torment the lake of fire uh, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth if that makes any sense I believe there's a lot of things that the Lord's withholding in this bottomless pit uh, before we get to that season. And, and we see in a chronological order that Lucifer is not cast down into that bottomless pit until the angel comes and takes the great chain. And boy, I can't wait for that day. I wish I could stay right there and preach for a little while. Said the angel's going to come take a great chain and bind him up and cast him into that bottomless pit. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. But I plan on being there. I plan on being there on the sidelines watching on that day. Because I'm going to see the accuser of the brethren. 
who John said accused them day and night. I'm going to see the accuser of the brethren bound for the last time and cast into the bottomless pit. If you believe it, shout amen. I'm saying all of this because I know that some Bible scholars, if they were to watch this, that they would, they would start picking apart the etymology of what I'm saying. But if we could just take at face value tonight uh, what we see in the scripture as we read it tonight, we see, we see Hades and we see Abraham's bosom. All right? And this is what we know between where the man is who was not right with God, who had everything, and this beggar named Lazarus, where he is, uh, where Abraham is, and where that man is, there is a gulf. Somebody say a great gulf. That means there's some distance between where righteousness is awaiting, oh bye, and where wickedness is awaiting. There's some things about eternity that I hope I never find out. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, I hope I never have to be held in waiting where the rich man is being held. I made up my mind as a kid. I don't ever want to have to be held in Hades. I don't care if Hades and, and somehow Gehenna, the lake of fire, end up being the same thing. This is what I do know. That where he's at, there's torment, and I don't want to be there. And where Abraham is, there's perfect peace. I want you to understand tonight that the difference in your life between torment, eternal torment, and eternal peace and bliss is not, it is absolutely not where you work, what you wear, what you drive, how much money you make, but it is in the decisions that you make in your life as to whether or not you live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And if you'll make up your mind right now that it's worth whatever it costs you to make it to heaven, I make you a promise, sweetheart. You're going to make it to heaven. If you spend your entire life saying, is that really necessary? Do I really have to do that? Is that a heaven or hell issue? You're already moving in the wrong direction. If you feel led by the Spirit that it's something you need to remove from your life, you better get it removed from your life. If it's something in your life that you know is contrary to the Spirit of God and the working of the Spirit of God, get it removed from your life. You cannot afford to take risks when it comes to your eternity. I said it once and I'll say it again because I believe with all my heart that you're either saved or you're lost. You either make it or you miss it. And I made up in my mind, I'm going to make it. Hallelujah. Now, for the sake of conversation tonight, we're going to take this chapter at just face value and we're going to look at this from a 60,000 foot view. This is what we know. There are at least two places where these men are being held. Everybody here agree? There's one that is likened unto hell and there's one that's likened unto Abraham's bosom. Now, if, if Uncle Abe didn't make it, we're probably all in trouble. I believe that Abraham was with the Lord. I believe that's where he was. I believe his soul was in the presence of the Lord. And I believe that's what Jesus is insinuating in this parabolic story that he's telling. And so what I want to talk to you tonight about for the next few minutes are the five things that I recognized in this story. Whether, whether it's true, whether it's a parable, whether it's an, an actual story or not, this is what we do know. There's one place I don't want to go. And there's one place I plan on going, and I want to be sure that I got it all right. Jesus don't waste stories. Jesus don't waste time, and he don't waste words. And this is what we can't see. We can debate over whether Gehenna and Hades, and we, we can debate all of that. We can debate over what uh, the, the, the chest of Abraham, the bosom of, of Abraham means. We, we can debate over that, but this is what I do see. I see that where this man is who is not with God is likened unto a place in the English language that is called hell. And this is what I noticed in verse 19 where we began tonight. The Bible said that he was a rich man, that he had everything that he needed, that he fared sumptuously every single day. 
There was also a beggar who did not have everything. He was hungry. The Bible said in 21 that he desired to be fed by crumbs. I cannot imagine living my life just begging for a crumb, begging for something to eat. I can't, I, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. I was sitting uh, last night in a coffee shop, and uh, Brother Wendell and Brother Stephen, uh, we walked in the door, and they were there. And there was a homeless man that came in. It was pitiful, this, this man that came in. And I told Brother Wendell, I said, man, I can't imagine having to live my life like that. Brother Stephen said, yeah, they, they come in here, man. They'll sit all day long. They just come in. My wife and I got off of a flight the other night and uh, I, I've been flying quite a bit lately when I come out to go to the parking garage area where I parked to pick up the bus to go to the, the parking there's a bunch of seats in there where the rental cars are and my wife can tell you I mean I, there was probably 30 40 people at least in there you, they weren't traveling they had they had found a building that they could go in nobody was kicking them it smelled like oh it, the, the smell was atrocious and I had compassion as I walked by these people and I want to tell you why I'm, I'm not walking by saying these idiots are filmed what's wrong with these dummies no no I'm going to tell you what I think of when I see people like that but for the grace of God there go I you know what those people have a soul but I, can, I can't imagine living my life just looking for the next crumb that falls from the master's table. I can't imagine living my life just waiting for the next place to get a warm cup of coffee. You know what I see in this story? I see the story of two worlds. I see the story of a man that had everything he wanted, but not everything that he needed. And a man who perhaps in his soul had everything that he needed, although he didn't have everything that he wanted. Am I preaching to anybody? I'd rather stand before the Lord and find out that I had everything I needed than to stand before God and Him say, Son, you had everything you wanted, but you didn't have what you needed. Praise God. So this, this, this story keeps me on my toes. I love this story because there's no black, there's no gray. It's like black and white. Like you got one guy that makes it and one guy that misses it. And the guy that misses it is wishing he would have made it. Oh, boy. Are y'all ready for this tonight? So the Bible said that it came to pass that the beggar died. And he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and he was buried and in hell. Everybody say in hell. He lift up his eyes, being in torment. The first thing I noticed in this story that this man had in the eternal torment of whatever hell he was in was vision. While he was still in an eternal state, he could see things. Do you know that's one thing that we see in this story that I believe is present in hell that needs to be present in the church. We've got to be people of vision. We've got to be, be people that see things for what they really are. You know, I thank God that some folks live their lives with rose-colored glasses on. The cup's always half full, never half empty. Thank God for sweet people like that. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to call it what it is. It's either righteous or it's not. I'm not saying to be negative. I'm not saying to be judgmental. But we're not doing people favors by turning a blind eye to them and saying, Oh, baby, God just wants you to be happy. God, give us the vision to see what is of you and what is not. You know what this vision is? It is discernment. It's the ability to see that I'm not where I wanted to be. I'm not where I should be. I pray to God that we get that kind of vision in the church before it's too late. I don't want to wait till I get to hell to have the vision of where I need to be. In hell, he lifted up his eyes. I believe the church needs more vision than we've ever had. I don't, I, don't, I don't have a lot of time for this, but the scripture says that without vision, that the people perish. 
Now, the interesting context of that, that, that verse in the Hebrew when it said that without vision the people perish, it is literally translated that without vision the people cast off restraints. Are you following what I'm saying? Where there's no vision in your life, where there's no vision in front of people, they'll cast off all the restraint in their life. Do you know why people walk away from this precious truth? Do you know why people stop preaching holiness, righteousness, separation from the world, being godly? Do you know why they do that? Do you know why people quit living like that? Because they've lost their vision. When you lose the vision of eternity and the goodness of God, you'll start casting off restraints in your life, saying things that used to matter don't matter anymore. My prayer tonight for this precious church and you precious people is that we never lose the vision of what God has put before us. Listen, if you ever start getting a little carnal and you feel yourself casting off restraint in your life, it is a sign to you. You have lost the vision. You have lost your vision it's time to start praying God open my eyes and let me see if I'm not pleasing to you let me be pleasing whatever I've got to do let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight tell your neighbor tonight he's preaching to you the Bible said that in hell he lifted up his eyes And he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Verse 24 said, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. This word cried speaks uh, speaks to lifting a loud voice. But there's a little bit of drama mixed in with it. When he cried, I believe sincerely that what Jesus, the picture that he's trying to paint, Is that he lifted up his voice with brokenness. I believe he lifted his voice with tears in his voice and tears in his eyes. The second thing I see that's in hell that we need in the church is the ability to lift our voice and cry. It's the ability to lift up our voice and cry out. Listen, if we have ever needed people in this hour that will lift up their voice and cry out, we need some people right now that will lift their voice and cry out, Dear God, I don't believe that the Lord is coming. Do you understand that the church he left, the church that he empowered, was still going to the house of God at the hour of prayer? Do you realize that in Acts 2, they continued steadfastly in the apostles? doctrine and in prayer and in breaking I don't believe God's coming back for a church that won't pray I don't believe God's coming back for a church that won't lift up her voice and cry I see that hell's got it but we need it in the church we need somebody that'll lift up their voice and cry out we need somebody that'll weep tears I'm preaching to you tonight church cried he cried for mercy there was a cry out of his voice that said please please have mercy I'm crying out because I need mercy he said would you please send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue Folks, I, uh, I'm bad about it. I don't drink as much as I should drink. Brother Haney convicts me. He drinks 14 gallons a day. And I drink about 14 ounces. Yes, those were both hyperbolic. They were both embellished. They're not true. You just got to preface sometimes. But when I'm thirsty, man, I got to drink. Now, they say when you're thirsty, it's too late. But when I'm thirsty, moment I want something to drink. And I don't necessarily want Dr. Pepper or Pepsi. I want, like, I want good water. But this man was so thirsty. Like, when I'm thirsty, I'm like, man, bring me a bottle. Bring me. You understand what I'm saying? Bring me a, a Stanley. <laughs> All you bougie women, you're Stanley. Bring me a Stanley. Good God, what are we doing? This man was so desperate 
Mamma Bingham, I've got a Stanley that Papa used to use on job sites. It's so old, it's been around since the Dead Sea was just sick. I didn't know I was in style until my daughter's like, Dad, we got a new cup. I'm like, it says Stanley on it. Like, that's what we use on job sites. Or no, it's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> this man said, I am so thirsty. If you'll just send somebody. You see this right here? He said, just send somebody. Tell them to dip their finger and touch my tongue. How thirsty do you have to be? You hear what I'm saying today? How thirsty do you have to be? I give anything. I give anything. If somebody would just dip their finger in water. You know what I'm seeing that's going to be in hell? That needs to be in the church of the living God? Thirst. The Bible said that man was so thirsty. He was so thirsty. That he'd do whatever he had to do to just get a taste. Oh, some of you already know where I'm going. He wasn't looking for an excuse to stay out of the house of God. He said, I'll do whatever I got to do to get there to just get a taste. It's one thing for your heart to be grieved when you can't be in the house of God. I know poor folks been shut in, been sick. Can't get, they can't wait to get back to the house of God. You know what? I refuse to let the spirit of this age talk me into sitting home and having church every Wednesday night on my phone. It ought to grieve our hearts when we can't be in the house. There's folks sick at home tonight that do anything they could if they could be in the house of the Lord. You know what they're doing? They're saying, God, just give me a drop. I'll do whatever I but I got to get a taste of it. I got to get a taste of your goodness. You know what we need in the church? We got to get thirsty for this. Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I wish somebody tell your neighbor tonight, it's time to get thirsty. We've got to get thirsty. You know who, you, you know who won't take a drink? People who are satisfied. You know why people don't want a taste of his goodness? Because they've tasted of their own. The Bible says to taste and see. Woo! That word is probably the weakest word that's written in Scripture. Because if you ever get a taste of how good he is, you can read that quote, taste and see the Lord's good. No, I don't think you understand how good. I don't think you understand how good he is. Because if you ever get a taste of his goodness, You'll never be satisfied with anything else. He's a great God. He picked me up this morning. He started me on my way. I'm talking about the goodness of the Lord. I'm talking about a good God that'll pick you up out of the miry clay. He'll establish your feet on a solid rock. Somebody shout, he's good. You ever, if you ever, ever, ever get convinced of how good he is, you'll tell everybody how good he is. Every time they look at you, you'll be drinking. What are you doing tonight? Going to church? Why are you going to church? You go all the time. Because I'm thirsty. Yep, but we want you to come over for a picnic. I don't think you understand. I can't get enough of him. I can't get enough of his presence. I can't get enough of his house. I can't get enough of his word. I can't get enough of what he's doing. I've got to have a drink. Of I've got to have a drink. I've got to have a drink. Anybody in here tonight thirsty? <laughs> he said, would you send somebody to dip their finger, just the tip, their tip, the tip their finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented oh God 
How can people read this? How? How do you read this story and be unmoved? I am tormented. It's small. It's tormented. But it's too late. How can you read I'm tormented and still want to go there? Well, you know, I just, I'm not, I'm not sure that I really believe that, that it's going to be what, the, I'm not sure that the Bible's really real. Do you know what people are saying when they don't want the Bible to be real? You know what they're saying? If I ignore it, then it's not true. If I act like hell's not real, then I'm not going to go there. Oh, baby. We can act like it's not real all you want to. And every atheist, you hear me, every atheist will believe someday. Every agnostic, every um, how do you know that? Because the word said that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm telling you, everybody is going to be a believer. I was thinking today. The old saying, some of you military guys may have heard it, you may have heard it, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. They get in that foxhole and start making promises to God. But promises made don't mean promises kept. And I've seen it happen too many times that God bails people out of the foxhole of life. And once they get back on a level playing field and everything's all right, they forget what they told God. I'm telling y'all tonight, from the bottom of my heart, God's been so good to me. I don't ever want to fail to keep my promises to God. I don't want to fail. He said, I'm, I'm tormented. I'm tormented. I'm absolutely tormented in these flames. I wish, I wish that... There's some way that I could paint a picture for you of what this man was going through. Jesus is telling the story, but I, I'm telling you, words fail. You know, when I was a kid, some of you saints that have been here for a long time, been in, in the church for a long time, can tell you it's the truth. That it used to be that when people would preach on heaven and hell, it was appreciated. There was a time in the church... That when people preached on, on hell and they preached on eternity, that folks would actually, they would actually, it's kind of a neat concept. You preach about eternity and folks would repent. But in this politically correct day, you preach on hell and people get offended. I have people ask me all the time. I mean, all the time. Where are you, Pastor? First minute college church. Oh, you want them hellfire and brimstone preachers? Come on. I'm like, yeah. Like, ooh, I don't like that. I'm like, makes you uncomfortable, don't it? You know, we don't like it because it brings discomfort. But you know what I'm praying? God, make us uncomfortable. Oh, make us uncomfortable. I am tormented. I am tormented. In these flames. Anybody here tonight understand what I'm telling you? Yes, he was tormented. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm hurrying. He said, I'm tormented in this flame. Abraham said, son, remember that in thy lifetime you receive good things. Likewise, Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Are y'all seeing it? It's plain. He is comforted. You are tormented. Abraham said, son, remember. I want to tell you the fourth thing that's going to be in hell that needs to be in the church is the ability to remember. We need memory. You know why we need memory? 
Because some of us need to remember what it felt like when he delivered us. Come on, we can get all self-righteous and act like we got it all dressed up. But sometimes we just need to look back and say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. Hey, I'm, I'm not here tonight to hurt anybody. I'm not here to throw judgment on anybody. But some of you got testimonies that need to be told. Come on, some of you need to let the world know. I used to go for a bottle every morning. I used to go for a bottle every evening. I couldn't wake up without smoking a pack. I couldn't get up without hitting that wacky tobacco. I, I couldn't live without, you know what, we, we need to tell somebody. I remember what my life was like, and I'm never going back. I'm hurrying. I'm, I'm almost done. I'm hurrying. But we need memory. We need memory in the church. Not so that we can stay beat down because you've been delivered and he that the sun sets free is free indeed. But I'm going to tell you why we need to remember. We need to remember because we get carnal. Yes, the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And as soon as they started facing trouble and tragedy and, and, and trial in their lives, they said, let's go back. You know why? Because they, they didn't remember. Watch, watch how they talk. They said, let's go back where there's leeks and onion and garlic and fish. They remember the parties. But they don't remember being broke down. They don't remember being beat half to death every day of their life. God, give us a memory where we'll remember. You know what happened? Do you know what happened to that prodigal in Luke 15? God awakened his memory in the pig pen of life. We need to remember how bad our family was before God healed our family. We need to remember how depressed we were before God shined his light on us. I've come to tell you tonight, I remember what it feels like to be in a season without prayer and fasting and dedicate. I don't want to be there. I want to wake up every day and say remind me Lord of your goodness remind me of where I could have been but where I am because of you oh God Woo. roll back the curtain of memory now and then show me where you've brought me from and where I could have been I want God to keep my memory alive of what life was like before him. There's folks that backslide and walk away from God. They come back to the Lord, but it's like their memory starts failing. Once they've tasted of his goodness, they, they come around for a little while and they're like, ah, this gets old. You know what? It never gets old when you got a memory. Never. <laughs> it never gets old when you got a memory. Because you can think of his goodness and how good he's been. In closing tonight, I've got one more thing that I want to tell you. He said, son, remember in thy lifetime you received good things, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted. You're tormented. He said, beside that, there's a great gulf. He said in verse 27, I pray thee therefore that you would send him to my father's house. Watch this. Verse 28, he said, for I have five brethren. He said, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. And he said, I do not want them to come here. Are you with me? You know what the last thing is in this story that you'll find in hell that I hope is in this church? Concern for the lost. Somebody that's in hell will get concerned for the lost. But it's too late. It's too late. I know sometimes it's inconvenient. My Uncle Mike and I have a running joke. That ministry happens at the strangest times and the strangest places. I got on a flight this week coming back from San Jose. When I stepped on the flight, I recognized the, the uh, flight attendant. She was the same flight attendant that I had going out. I stepped on the plane. My wife greeted her, and I sat down. We were separated. Our seats were separated. 
I sat down. I went in by the window. My wife went back and sat on the aisle. The lady came to take drink orders, and she was reading on her phone. She looked up, and she glanced at me twice, Brother Stephen. She said, Mr. St. Clair, it's good to see you again. I thought, man, I wonder if God's trying to give this lady a chance. for years. I don't think I've ever got the same flight attendant twice. And I love it because it starts this conversation. What brings you here? Well, I'm a motivational speaker. <laughs> Ma'am, I'm a pastor. I preach the gospel. And I was here this weekend preaching at a church. She said, oh, you're with a church group? I said, I don't know. Is there a group on here? <laughs> she said, yeah. There's some church people on here. I said, I might be with them. I don't know. Because there was also another pastor. Brother Shoemaker was on that flight. Brother Sister Shoemaker were on that flight. Look, I'm going to tell you. If we're not always looking for somebody to tell them how good God's been, I believe we're headed in the wrong direction. You know what would be the easiest thing to do? Put in your headphones and act like nobody's talking to you. You know what the best thing you can do is? Say, hey, God's been good to me. Let me tell you about the goodness of the Lord. I believe there's going to be some people in eternity that are going to say, I wish I would have told my brother. I wish I would have told somebody else. You know what I'm praying on this Wednesday night? God, give us a concern for the lost. Give us a hunger for the lost that's even greater than our ability to teach. Because, God, if we get a hunger for the lost, we don't worry about how good we sound. We want them to know about the goodness of God. Let's stand together tonight. Oh, yeah. I know this is not popular. And I'm not brave enough to say this is doctrine, okay? This is an opinion. I always want to be clear when I'm giving you an opinion or when I'm talking about doctrine. But I'm going to tell you what I personally believe. I believe that eternity is going to be worse for some folks. I believe judgment's going to be the same. Because we're all judged by the same word. But Bishop, I believe the men of God that have preached this word... And have walked away from it. It's just what I believe. If you disagree, that's okay. I'm just telling you it's what I believe. But I believe there's going to be some kind of a way in my mind. That they're going to have to listen to sermons they preached. I believe there's going to be backsliders in hell. That have walked away from the presence of God that for eternity. On, on eternity's PA system, so, so to speak. That there are going to be messages that play through eternity that they're going to hear. On this Sunday night, on this Wednesday night, God gave me a chance to repent. On that Sunday morning, somebody offered me a ride to church, but I refused. I'm not here to scare you. I don't believe in fear mongering, but I'm going to tell you this much. You've got a choice of whether you make it or you miss it. And I'm telling you, there's not going to be, Brother Haney, there won't be one person that makes heaven that regrets it. You hear me? There, there, there won't be one person that makes it to heaven that regrets it. But there won't be one person that goes to hell that rejoices. I was on social media this week on the flight coming home. You know how, how crazy it is, the uh, ads, things you get. And... An ad popped up in my Instagram, and it was this beautiful woman. She was a model, and uh, she was covered, but she was scantily clad and selling clothing. And the clothing that she was selling was a T-shirt, uh, an orange T-shirt that written across her chest said, I'll see you in hell. And the advertising selling point of this company is, it's going to be a party. I don't know if, it's, if that moment right there is when this started churning in me. But this has been churning in my spirit. 
I'm telling you folks, it's, it's oh God. It's not going to be a party. Some of your best friends may be there, but you're not going to stand around the table getting punch drunk. You're not going to laugh and listen to Ozzy Osbourne concert. He said, I am tormented. He, Abraham said, son, you're tormented in this. He said, but that man, he's comforted. You know what I'm choosing tonight? I'm choosing comfort. I'm choosing comfort. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to give God the best I've got. I may, I, you, you may have missed what you think is the best years of your life. But you know what the best years of your life are? It's what you got left. Don't worry about what you've lost. Give God the best of what you got left. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Come on, let's love the Lord together. Woo, hallelujah. God, I plan on making heaven my home. 